Um, we're just going to introduce uh, Stuart Greaves right now. Stuart is coming to us from IHOP Kansas City. Um, he is uh, overseeing IHOP KC in this season. And uh, as you all know, IHOP has been, um, we've been partnering with them along with Jason, many other groups, the Isaiah 62 Fast, and then now leading up to Pentecost. Uh, so we're all kind of jumping in this river together. Um, and so we're honored to have him join us tonight and just get to share whatever's on his heart. So Stuart, over to you. Uh, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Really honored to have you. Hey, Jonathan, it's good to be with you guys. Hello, Melody. <clears throat> well, hello, everyone. It's uh, good to be with you. We're living in uh, undoubtedly just some real interesting times, aren't we? All right, well, I just want to take the uh, uh, next few moments and just uh, uh, just share a couple of thoughts about uh, the, uh, the importance of understanding the mystery. And, uh, and then also just kind of share a couple of thoughts about, you know, why it is that, uh, that Israel is significant. Um, of course, in a space of time that we have tonight, um, it's not enough because it truly is a vast subject. Um, but I, hopefully I can um, share a couple of nuggets with you guys that uh, can kind of spur on your thinking and just your own uh, research and study and dialogue with the Lord. And so, Father, we do ask you, Lord, that you who are uh, the God of understanding, Lord, we ask you that you would illumine our hearts and our minds, Father, even now, Lord, with the light of the Holy Spirit. You who are the Father of lights, we ask you, Lord, that you would, through the entrance of your word, Lord, that you would illumine our inner man. Lord, we ask you for that living understanding, Father, even as we are in your presence, Lord, we ask you for that light and that truth, Father, to touch our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles uh, uh, for a moment to uh, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. We're going to jump around a little bit. Daniel 9 and then uh, maybe touch on Romans 11 a little bit. But Daniel chapter 9. Again, I'm sure it's a, a familiar passage to you. It's where the angel Gabriel appears to Daniel a second time. And he gives them uh, information, he gives them insight um, into uh, God's plan and God's purpose um, for the Jewish people. In fact, um, he tells them in verse 24 that this is about, um, about the people and the city, Jerusalem very specifically. But uh, the part I want, to draw you, I want to draw your attention to is the very first verse. It says in the year, in the first year of Darius, the first year of Darius, uh, to kind of get a uh, uh, an appreciation of that verse, we have to pull in, we have to turn there, we, you pull in Daniel chapter 5, verses 30 and 31, and that is right after Daniel had just interpreted the writing on the wall 
uh, for uh, Belshazzar. And essentially the word was, um, the days of Babylon are numbered and the Persians are coming in. And it says that after he gave that word, it says literally an hour after Daniel gave that interpretation, Darius comes in and defeats the Babylonians literally an hour later. And so in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, when it says in the first year in the reign of Darius, it, this is within a year of a tremendous, undoubtedly tremendous political upheaval. Political upheaval, uh, the threat of war, uh, new leadership, politics, I mean, the whole deal. Undoubtedly, much confusion, much uncertainty taking place. And it says in Daniel 9, verse 1, that in the first year of Darius, the son of, uh, of Azarus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, verse 2, it says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the numbers of the years prophesied by the word of the Lord, the prophet Jeremiah. I just think that is such a, a, a powerful contrast that, that here, um, in the year of the rise, in the year of this massive global transition, in the year of war, in the year of political intrigue, confusion, conflict, transition, all of these different things, it was in that year that Daniel found himself in the books of Jeremiah and he began to understand the prophecy. And for the last couple of days, I've just been thinking about, again, just the time in which we're living. It's not quite at this level of intensity yet, but it, it could get that intense uh, fairly soon. I mean, only the Lord knows. But uh, just within our own country, a political confusion. Of course, there is the war that's going on between Iraq, I mean, excuse me, between Russia and uh, I mean, Ukraine. Uh, the, the tensions that are taking place just within Israel itself, uh, just the, the threat of division uh, within the nation, uh, the threat of, uh, again, the, the, sa the saber rattling that is taking place with China and, and Taiwan, uh, the potential of a nuclear threat with Iran. I mean, there's all of these dynamics that are taking place. And I think that uh, what we can learn there from Daniel is that in the midst of somewhat similar, quite somewhat similar situations, uh, we want to find ourselves in the book. We want to find ourselves in the Word of God. And in that Word, the, the Lord, like He did with the prophet Daniel, um, He's able to um, he's able to, uh, uh, to give us understanding. In fact, what is so interesting is in Daniel 9 verse 2, it says that Daniel says, I understood. And yet, <clears throat> we find out later that the angel Gabriel comes to him in verse 22, and he says, Daniel, I've, I've, come to, I've come to give you skill to understand. And I just find that it's such a interesting paradox. And what that tells me is that this is the real need for, uh, for me and for us to, to be teachable in this hour, that even though we, un we understand, there's a whole lot more understanding to be gained uh, that the Lord wants to give. The man who understood the book, it still took the angel Gabriel to come to him and to give him skill, to give him this uh, the grace of God to give him a supernatural ability uh, to comprehend what it is that the Lord is doing. So what does it mean to understand? In short, to understand means the ability to create a framework. The ability to create a framework. Uh, any, I don't know how many of you here are educators, but there's this guy 
by the name of Benjamin Bloom. Benjamin Bloom, he was an educational psychologist uh, back in the 50s. And uh, he came up with what is called these six levels of learning. And the lowest level of learning is that of knowledge. And then the second one is, uh, I don't, I'm not gonna go through all of them, but the first one is knowledge, the second one is understanding, the third one is application and analysis and so forth. And uh, uh, knowledge, in other words, is the lowest level of learning. All knowledge is, is information. It's information, it's data. And so we can have all this data, but data does not necessarily mean um, uh, understanding. Understanding means that we're able to take that data and we're, and we're able to orient it, we're able to order it, we're able to create a framework. And once we have that framework, that framework creates a lens through which we begin to perceive the world that is around us. And so the thing that we need in this hour is we need understanding. And again, when the angel Gabriel tells uh, the prophet Daniel, he says, I've come to give you skill. And what that tells me is that we need help from the Lord. We need the Lord's help to help us create a framework to take biblical data, so to speak. And, and then, of course, not just in the privacy of our own lives, but uh, but also in the community that we're a part of. It's a, it's a body of Christ together. It's 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. I love it. Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. So it's not a singular person that's the mind of Christ. It is a people of God together. We have the mind of Christ. And so it is as we are in the word, in the privacy of our own lives, but it is as we are in communication with our friends and family. It is as we are in communication with the, the, the spiritual family that we're a part of. And as we're communicating with others in the earth, together the Holy Spirit through that community will help us create a framework by which we can understand the things that are taking place. So the uh, now what happens is the uh, uh, the angel tells Daniel, I've come to give you skill to understand that the next thing he tells him, he tells him to, in verse 23, he says, now consider the matter and understand it. So he says, I'm gonna give you skill to understand and then secondly, it says, consider the matter and understand. And uh, when I think of the idea to consider, I think of this active engagement. In other words, actively uh, be engaged in the process of the development of a framework. And again, um, the, uh, the, the, the ability to stay engaged, uh, it, takes, it takes energy, it takes supernatural, Grace, because in that process of learning, in the process of creating that framework, there's a whole host of emotions that we begin to experience because things begin to look differently. Um, actually, in the process of learning, uh, there is confusion that actually happens. And all confusion is, is that the data points are not quite lining up. And so we have to reshuffle the, the deck. And so the angel says, you need, you need grace even to engage in the, in the consideration of the learning process. And then he says, uh, thirdly, verse 25, he says, know therefore and understand. In other words, it's the ability to continue to learn and to uh, and, and continue in the process of refreshing our framework. Because, because Daniel had a framework in verse two. He understood the book. And then in verse 22, the Lord says, hey, I'm, I'm here to refresh your framework. So this is this process. And so to, to today, you know, we're, I, we're just living in a time where it is time for, I mean, it is, it is important that we are teachable uh, in this hour. 
Now let's, now, now let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans 11. This is where Paul uh, tells us that it, it is his desire that we not be ignorant of the mystery. Not be ignorant of the mystery. What, what is the mystery that Paul is talking about? I just want to give you a couple quick thoughts. Number one, he's simply talking about God's plan. Or, or the way I like to say it, it is God's mercy strategy. God's mercy strategy to lead the nations into his desired end. And what is that desired end? That desired end is for the glory of the Lord to fill the earth like the water cover the saints. That is the desired end. It's for God to dwell in full in the full manifestation of God's glory, the full manifestation of his power, the full manifestation of his personality, the full manifestation of his purpose or his plan be permeated in the earth. That is the desired end. That is the destination uh, of the nations. And so God has a mercy strategy uh, to get us to that place. And uh, in the New Testament, there are at least seven components of that mystery of which the mystery of Israel is, is one of them, the, the, uh, the salvation of Israel, God's mercy, a strategy, a strategic purpose to, uh, to restore God's kingdom to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel, and then from there begin to permeate the nations of the earth with the fullness of God's glory. And so the reason why Paul calls it a mystery is because that's what it was before Jesus revealed it. In other words, it is no longer a mystery. <clears throat> the way I like to say it is the, the secret is out, so to speak, okay? The secret is out. Uh, Paul says it was once hidden, but now it's revealed to the apostles and the prophets, he says in Ephesians. In Colossians, he says it was once hidden, but now it's been revealed to all the saints. And even Jesus in Luke chapter 10, he has a moment, it says, where he rejoices greatly in spirit. And he says, I thank you, Father. You've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. But you've revealed them to simple people. You've revealed them to babes, in other words. And, uh, uh, and what he's rejoicing over is that the secret now is out. He says, that which was hidden in the heart of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit of all of eternity past, now it has been made plain to all of the people of God. And so Paul um, makes a very powerful statement in Romans 11.25. He says, brethren, I desire that you not be ignorant concerning this mystery. He goes, I want you to know it because I want you to understand it. You have full access to it and it's found within the word of God. So now, so what is this mystery? Where where did this mystery or uh, uh, originate? Where, or better yet, where did the idea of the mystery uh, 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 originate? Well, it takes us back to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 it's uh, where the uh, where the Lord gives that dream to uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, and it says that He gave him a secret. Now, um, the I believe that the secret wasn't that He gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream that nobody knew. That is true. He gave him a dream that nobody knew, but that wasn't the secret. The secret was that God gave Nebuchadnezzar the secret. That'd be like me going up to and uh, Jonathan. I say, Jonathan, I have a secret to tell you. 
right? The, the very thing that I'm giving to Jonathan, that in itself is the secret. And even if you guys know what the secret is, it is still the secret. And so it's the mystery. And God gave a mystery to uh, 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 to, to Nebuchadnezzar. And that's, and that's a whole other subject for another day. There's a way he would give it to a Gentile pagan king. But be it as it may, he, he gives insight into this planet. It's the first time this shows up. I just want to give you uh, about five points to what this mystery highlights or what this plan highlights. Because when Daniel uh, gets understanding from the Lord uh, what this secret actually is, he bursts out in a proclamation of worship. And here's what he says. He says five things that give us insight into what this plan is and what this plan does. Number one, in Daniel chapter 20, excuse me, Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 and 23, the mystery produces worship and gratitude. When we discover the plan, it produces worship and gratitude. And we see that in Paul. We see that at the very end of Romans 11. After he's done talking about the mystery, he just bursts out in worship and goes, oh, the depths and the riches and the mind. I mean, he, he explodes in the spontaneous worship. And so, so the mystery produces worship and gratitude, number one. Number two, in verses 20 and 21, the mystery shows us God's wisdom and power and sovereignty over history. God's wisdom, God's power and sovereignty over history. That he is not just distantly involved, he is sovereignly, intimately involved in the affairs of human history. Number three, verse 21 again. The mystery shows us that God is the one who ultimately puts world leaders in place. That's a tough pill to swallow for for, for most Americans, but we'll get over it, okay? God is the one who is intimately and directly involved in putting world leaders in place. He says he raises up kings and he tears them down. Fourthly, verses 21 and 22, again, the fourth point is the mystery shows us God's desire to give wisdom and knowledge to his people. That as we begin to become aware of this plan, we in it actually see that God wants his people to know the thoughts and the intents of his heart. It's what, it's what the prophet Jeremiah said in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter uh, 23, verse 20. He says, in the latter days, uh, you will know perfectly the thoughts and the intents of my heart. He says that in Jeremiah. Of course, Paul, he says, I desire that you not be ignorant of the mystery. And why? Because Paul tapped into God's longing, God's heart. He says, no, he goes, I want my people. He goes, oh, all my people. By Colossians 1.25, he says that he revealed it to all the saints, not just the teachers, not just the preachers, everyone. I mean, the door is wide open. Uh, God desires to give wisdom and knowledge to his people. And then fifth, the mystery shows us, this is verse 22 as well, the mystery shows us that God is deeply and intimately acquainted with all things. I mean, he's deeply and intimately acquainted. And so what we see is that when we begin to, when we begin to embrace these five components, over time, I believe, is what actually helps us 
uh, what is called a prophetic perspective. It gives us a different view of how we interpret the things that happen in our lives, as well as the things that are happening within our nation, and then ultimately the things that are happening in the nation of the earth. The mystery gives us a grid, it gives us an understanding, it gives us a framework of understanding what it is that God is doing and how it is that he's operating. So now, now, now let's go back to uh, Romans 11.25. <clears throat> that particular strategy has, uh, has three components there. The first one is that there is a partial blinding of Israel. They, they are blinded in part. There is a resistance uh, to the gospel. And again, there's a big subject in terms of why that is and when that happens. Some think that it happened in the days of Isaiah when Isaiah was commissioned uh, uh, to preach. When the Lord says, he says, uh, hearing they will not hear, seeing they will not see. Uh, some say that it may have happened at a time of Christ when they rejected the Messiah, that God's divine discipline came came over them. But be it as it may, Paul makes it very clear that their blindness served, uh, there's two things about it. Number one, it, it, um, it was riches for us as Gentiles to come to know the Lord. But number two, he says, make no mistake about it. He said it's temporary. He says they're blinded in part. Uh, uh, sorry, it is partial, my bad. It, it is a partial blinding. In other words, there are still some that are responding to the gospel. Number two, he said it is a blinding until, until the fullness of the Gentiles. So not only is it partial, it is temporal. They won't remain with this veil over their minds forever. And that's actually one of the reasons, I believe, why the Lord is raising up a prayer movement in the earth with the 100 million intercessors, really is to pray for the lifting of that veil and for the light of the spirit to break in and for the light of the gospel to break in. You know, I find it interesting that uh, that in the Aaronic uh, a blessing in Numbers chapter uh, 6, you know, it says, may the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, may, may the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. I find it interesting that the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he talks about the shining of Jesus' face, and that the light that shines from his face is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that shines in the face of Jesus Christ. And he says that this, he says that this light it shines from his face. It shines upon the darkened heart and the darkened minds when the gospel is being preached. And as we preach Christ, light is the thing that begins to break in. And so when we're talking about this intercession movement that the Lord is raising up across the earth. Really, it's about the raising up of gospel messengers who will preach Yeshua uh, to the Jewish people. And in doing so, the light of his countenance will begin to shine upon the hearts and upon the minds of the Jewish believers. Now, of course, not the Jewish believers alone, but that's kind of like the focus of our discussion uh, today. So they're, they're blinded in part, number one. Number two, until, until the fullness of the Gentiles uh, comes in, until the, uh, the full manifestation of, uh, the, I believe, the, the full understanding of the gospel, the full living out of the gospel, and the full manifestation of the gospel is released through Gentiles it will release a provocation amongst the Jewish people. And then the third part of the mystery is that Paul says, and so all Israel will be saved. In other words, the blindness is lifted, uh, the light is shining, 
and there is a national salvation that will take place in the land and across the earth among the Jewish people, as it is prophesied by the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 12. So, next point I want to highlight is uh, another thing that Paul, point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 11. I want to just speak just briefly um, into the importance of Israel um, as it relates to the missions movement. The thing is, is that the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 verse 12, he makes a very powerful statement. He says, look, he says, I magnify my ministry among the Gentiles that I might provoke some, referring to the Jewish people. And then we see a very interesting motivation. We see that Paul is, is compelled uh, to go on a mission field, so to speak, to go on his missionary or his apostolic journey, to go to the nations he magnifies his ministry. What does he mean he magnifies his ministry? It means he's committed to walk in excellence. Uh, he's committed to uh, to be faithful to the whole counsel of God and the preaching of the gospel. And, and, and the living out of that gospel, he, said, he says, I'm committed to this thing because in doing so, it will impact the Gentiles. But when it impacts the Gentiles, he says, it will release a provocation of jealousy among the Jewish people. And so when we're talking about the Lord doing this historic thing in the nations where he is stirring up Gentiles, I mean, we, we were, look, uh, we're, we're getting closer to uh, seven or 8,000 uh, uh, hubs that are on Isaiah 62 fast that are praying for Israel at least an hour a day. I mean, that is absolutely remarkable. I mean, and God only knows how many are in each one of those hubs, but it's at least two or three people that are an hour a day praying for Israel. You know, I mean, that's just absolutely amazing. And and one of the reasons is, is for these these gospel messengers, these, these missionaries who need to be raised up in the nations preaching the gospel in the nations with excellence, resulting in the provocation of Israel. Part of what I think is going to happen is the Lord is going to help us where saving from people from hell um, is not the only, is not the only, only motivation uh, to, uh, to the preaching of the gospel. We will begin connecting the dots over time that the preaching of the gospel will be critical to the provocation of the Jewish people, which is critical to the return of the Lord, which is critical to the whole earth entering into the ultimate destiny that God has designed for the nations. So why, why is Israel so relevant? Why is Israel so important? Uh, again, uh, we don't have enough time to go into all of it because that is a, is a vast subject. But I just want to mention just a couple of things. I, I'm assuming that most of you are familiar with them. But I just find myself here in the last couple of weeks really just kind of rehearsing just some of just the real main and plain and basics. And say, Lord, here I am. Just there's a, a fresh slate, Lord, which you just bring understanding. And so, uh, first of all, because God is a God of covenant. He's a God of covenant. He is deeply committed to his word. And he made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is an eternal covenant. And one of the things that's interesting about his covenant is that his character, God's character, is connected to the covenant. Uh, it's amazing to me that there's so much about what God does to Israel, in Israel, through Israel, that gives us a discovery of who he is and what he's like. I'll give you an, I'll give you an example. God, uh, 
on behalf of Israel, he destroys uh, uh, Pharaoh and his horsemen. And when he does that, there's a song that breaks out. It's the song of Moses. And all of a sudden, there's this phrase, God is a warrior, the Lord is his name. In other words, the only way that we know that God is a warrior is because of that moment. It's because of what he did on behalf of Israel. And so we see many examples of this throughout the scripture where the character and the nature of God is revealed because of what he does uh, on behalf of Israel, through Israel, or what he does to Israel, even if it means his divine, his divine discipline. Number two, why does Israel matter? It is the last question on the mind of the apostles before Jesus' ascension. It's the last question on their mind. Jesus went them for 40 days. For 40 days, it says, giving them infallible proof about the resurrection, teaching them about the kingdom, action from 1 verse 6, Jesus about to ascend, and the apostles say, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That was the last question they asked. And it's, and it's so interesting to me that notice Jesus doesn't say, no, that's not what's going on. All he basically says to them in an indirect way is not yet. He says, but you go be a witness. Go be a witness of that kingdom. Go be a witness of me as the king and tell the world about what is coming. Tell the world about what was accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. And, then, and there is a time, he says, not for you to know the times and the seasons. There is a time coming where God is going to restore his kingdom to Israel. Acts chapter 28, verse 20, the apostle Paul, he looks at the elders and he says, brethren, it is for the hope of Israel that I am in these chains. <laughs> Israel is very much so the thing that's on his mind. What is this hope? This hope is the Davidic kingdom restored uh, uh, to, uh, to the nation of Israel. Lastly, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, 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 the, the knowledge of God is so attached to his covenant there's so much that we know about him because of his dealings with Israel. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel, and I'll just give two verses, but a prophet Ezekiel, about 60 to 63 times, he makes this statement. Israel, one example is Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 16. Israel, I'm going to do these things to you, positive or negative, depending on the verse. It was that when I do them, he goes, you will know that I am the Lord. You will know that I am, or you will know that I'm Yahweh. Then in uh, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 20, or 21, verse 20, same thing. He says, Israel, he goes, when I do these things to you, positive or negative, he says, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. The nations will know that, uh, that I am. The, the, the thing that's interesting, I want to give two more passages, Psalm 14 and Psalm 51, uh, excuse me, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. What's interesting is both Psalms uh, start out the same way. They both start out with the statement, a fool says in his heart, there's no God. 
And so there's this denial of the existence of God. And what's interesting is that both Psalms end with the restoration of Israel. That's God's answer to the full of his existence. He goes, look what I've done um, with the restoration of the people with whom I've made a covenant. And so, so Israel is uh, very much still matters. Um, uh, there is understanding to be had about who God is through his dealings with the nation of Israel. And secondly, we don't want to be ignorant of the mystery. We want to come before the Lord in this hour and be coming through the scripture and asking him for insight um, into his mercy strategy for the earth because I believe that is where we will begin to get understanding and the lenses to begin to interpret the world that's around us. Amen. <laughs>